Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. A loose pass from Lingard and Manchester United beaten with the very last kick of the game in Switzerland last night. Ronaldo might have got things off to a cool start for the Reds, but things began to heat up after Wan-Bissaka's straight red card. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side down to 10 men for the majority and they couldn't hold on to their lead as young boys picked up an historic win in the Champions League. Slightly more straightforward for Chelsea as they kicked off their defence of the trophy with a 1-0 win over Zenit St. Petersburg. Can you guess who scored the Blues goal? Of course, it was Romelu Lukaku. But how will Liverpool and Manchester City get on tonight as their respective European campaigns begin? A real nostalgic clash at Anfield tonight as AC Milan come to town whilst RB Leipzig are in Manchester to face City at the Etihad. We'll have the rundown of Premier League interests in Europe right here on Football Social Daily today, and we'll be doing it in the company of Ian Brannan and Matt Pidd. Morning, boys. Good morning. Morning, Niall. Good to have you both on. Good to talk about the Champions League again. It is back 108 days, Matt, after the... Or 109 (laughs) days now after the Champions League final from last season. Have you recovered from that Uh, yet? Yeah, just about, I think. (laughs) It still hurts, though, when you talk about it. Let's talk about Leipzig instead. We'll do that a little bit later. First, we'll start on the games that have already taken place and Manchester United, who lost late on to Young Boys of Bern in their Champions League group stage opener last night. This was an early kickoff, but it didn't make much of a difference. It was on a plastic pitch over in Switzerland, a stadium called the Wankdorf, which has, I think, solar panels all over the roof. It's one of those progressive stadiums. And Young Boys put in an excellent performance. They won the game 2-1. Before we come on to the nuts and bolts of why Manchester United lost and the red card for wan and all the other factors, Ian, do you think young boys probably deserve the win on the whole because they just didn't stop putting in a shift from minute one to minute 90? Firstly, can I say that Googling this match for search terms in Twitter or whatever is an absolute nightmare. Um, it's just, you've got to be so careful what you type in. Um, anyway, look, it's, uh, yeah, it was... It, it, for me, Man United were overly complacent, I think. They, they, I'm not saying that they were trivial over this, but even the way that they're speaking afterwards of, oh, well, there's four or five more games to go, you know, they, they didn't seem to be properly up for it. They, you know, they weren't treating it like some matches that they would. You know, there was certainly going to be far more fired up for other matches this season. Um, young boys deserved the win, definitely, um, because they kept going. They kept going. They kept throwing everything at it. It was, you know, a late goal that that decided it. And for me, Man United um, felt that they'd got the job done. You know, they'd got that goal up. Um, uh, obviously, Ronaldo uh, scored, and th- I think they just thought that they were cruising. And I don't know why. 
because young boys, you know, this is the Champions League. This side have qualified mm. to get there. They've beaten other good teams. Just the second to get time there. ever that they've been in the Champions League. So yeah. they're going to be bang up for it, aren't they? Exactly. And so that you know, and, and quite rightly, this is the premier competition in the in Europe. Remember, it wasn't long ago that Man United were trying to ditch the Premier League to playing something like this week in, week out. And then they turn up and it's like, oh, well, you know, this, this will be an easy walk in the park. And they've been shown that it's not a walk in the park. Uh, there are no easy games in the Champions League. Anybody can beat anybody else. And I think for Man United to sort of, you know, the arrogance of Man United is back. And that is a, a bad thing for Man United because they need this reminder every now and again that they're not unbeatable. I think because they've got Ronaldo in the team now, they think they're just going to walk everything. And that's not the case, especially when you take Ronaldo off and swap him for Jesse Lingard, which works out well. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's not, uh, there's a long way to go in this competition. And because they got to the final of the Europa League and because they're doing well in the, champion, in, the, in the Premier League now and they've got Ronaldo in the team, they think they've got everything won. And, uh, yeah, um, there's, there's a lot of things to do, yeah, in, in, in this competition for them. Well, you say there's a long way to go, and that was the thoughts of Harry Maguire and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after the game. They both said in their post-match interviews that although it's a real stinger of a result and to lose in the way that they did really hurts, it isn't too much of a disaster because there are still five group games to go. Atalanta and Villarreal also in Manchester United's group. So I suppose you could say, Matt, that despite the glee I'm sure that was on your face come the full-time whistle, Manchester United fans will be gutted about this, but also... It is early on. It's the first group game, so there are chances to, to get back on track. Well, it's never a, a good game to lose, but if you're going to lose a game in your group stage in Champions League, usually getting out of the way the first game, that's usually the best one. But the, the other two teams they've got in the group there, they've got Villarreal and Atalanta, both quality sides. Obviously, United have a recent experience with Villarreal. You know, they lost to them in the Europa League final, albeit on penalties, but you know, they've seen how good they were defensively. Atalanta are, are a scoring machine, like in Serie A, like over the the past couple of seasons under Gasparini, you know, they're the, the like sort of like the opposite to what you'd expect from an Italian side. You know, they're, they're this side that just free flowing football. They just they love to go and score goals. And you know, United they've already lost one game now, and they're gonna have to be very careful because if they start dropping points, even getting draws here and there. You know, um, Villarreal and Atalanta both drew one all last night. Today, both got a, a point on the board. Obviously, young boys have got three now. United have just got to be very very careful, not get complacent. Obviously, like you said, it's early doors yet and they have got quality players and they still, for me, will probably qualify. But they've made it a little bit harder for themselves what um, what they probably thought it would have been. They've got to go to some tough places and, you know, they've got to obviously keep players fit and, you know, other teams are going to um, pick up points around them. So, yeah, they're just going to have to just focus on themselves now, get this one out of the way and... Um, you know, learn from the mistakes in this uh, game against young boys. The statistics make for grim reading for Manchester United fans. Two shots in the entire game, the last of which came in the 25th minute, which was 10 minutes before Aaron Wambasaka's red card. That is the lowest Manchester United shot tally of any game that Opta have on their statistic records since they started taking records off the Champions League in 2003-04. So that just goes and to young show... Young boys had 19. Yeah. Young boys had 19. They absolutely battered them. Just... Like they had a little bit more possession, but they absolutely battered them in terms of shots. Absolutely. It just goes to show the difference in opinion when it comes to whether Manchester United were in control of the game or whether they weren't. And there are arguments for both because after the red card, things definitely changed and... You know, that was Manchester United's first red card, straight red card in the Champions League since Nani got sent off in 2013 against Real Madrid. I think you'll remember when he brought it down out of the sky, but his studs ended up in 
um, a Real Madrid player's chest and the referee got the red card out. Sir Alex was fuming. Less complaints, I think, the manager of United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, can have for this red card, Ian. I thought it looked pretty convincing. It was a poor touch from Wambasaka and he left himself all the hard work to do to try and win the ball back and he's ended up committing a foul, which is probably worthy of a red card. I wonder what your take was. Yeah, um, I saw the highlights of it last night and I only saw it the once, I think, but um, it, it did look like a, a fairly straightforward red card. I think, you know, we've, we've had red cards even this week that we'll mention later on um, that that maybe are a little bit more um, questionable. Um, but I think, you know, it, it, for me, it seemed to be a fairly routine one. And I think as well, like, you know, the, the various pundits last night on the TV didn't particularly have a massive problem with it either, which I think tells you all you need to know really about that one. A um, bit of a sloppy challenge and that's going to um, uh, come back and bite them potentially because we're saying about these games and that are coming up, you know, Villarreal and, and Atalanta are, are no slouches and missing a player like um, Wan-Bissaka in, in those games potentially might, um, you know, uh, not do them any favours in the, in, the, in the long run. Yeah, I think that that red card, although people will look at it as a turning point in the game, it's the tactics that Solskjaer deployed after that that a lot of people are complaining about. He made a change. He brought Varane on, took Sancho off. Dallo came on as well. And there were a few system tweaks. They went to three at the back. And that is not typical Manchester United from what we know of, of what we've seen from them over the years, Matt. Often, even with 10 men, they'd quite like to impose themselves on the game. But they were quite content, I think, to hold on to that 1-0 lead, uh, that the goal that Ronaldo got them. But they weren't able to do so. However, all of these question marks over Solskjaer, the fact that the game management was poor and the substitutions were terrible, do these things only really get amplified because of the fact that Jesse Lingard makes a horrific mistake at the end of the game? Because United did look on course for a point, despite the fact young boys, as you say, were all over them for a large part of the second half. Lingard makes an awful error where he passes the ball straight to a young boys player who's clean through on goal and finishes it off. So actually, can you legislate for those sorts of mistakes? It's a horrible moment for Lingard and hopefully he you know, recovers and, and comes back firing in the next few games just for his own confidence. But it's one of those things where you just have to hold your hands up and go, well, what can you do about that? You can do all the defending and coaching in the world, but if someone passes it straight to their player clean through, then there's not a lot you can do about that. No, there's not a lot you can do about it. I mean, as much as I enjoyed seeing it, obviously, um, Solskjaer's not sent him on the pitch to do that. Solskjaer's sent him on the pitch to, to do a job. And obviously, like you said, you can't legislate for these types of things. They happen. It's a mistake, you know, and it's ultimately ended up costing Man United the game. But, you know, it's um, it, it's just something that you, you can't control. Every, any any player can make a mistake on the pitch at any time. And obviously, it's like you said, it's amplified, you know, Solskjaer's tactics because of the result at the end of the day. And, you know, when you get a player sent off, you do have to adjust. You do have to maybe go a little bit more defensive because obviously you're a player down. But United's um, weaknesses for me in, in midfield, you know, they don't keep possession enough in midfield and there's a lot, a lot of sloppy passes. And, you know, that's that's for me where they lost the game last night. If they control the ball in the midfield and just keep the possession and, and play things simple, you know, they, they win the game. But no, they didn't. They, they allowed the young boys to, uh, to ascend onto them and to take control of the game. And, Ultimately, yeah, that's where they lost it. But as for Lingard, you know, we know he's a decent player and everyone's saying, oh, we send him back to West Ham and stuff like that. Like, look, you know, like players make mistakes. It happens, you know. We've had the same with Nathan Aki over at Man City. You know, I'll get on to him later because we'll be talking about the City-Leipzig game. 
Um, just give these players a chance. We know we know the, the quality and we know that they didn't mean to go out and do that. Obviously, it's frustrating, but no. At, at the end of the day, Sarsha didn't send him out to do that. You know, it's just one of the things that you just can't control. It just happens on the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Jesse Lingard, horrified. I don't think he really made a clean connection with the pass. I'm not sure he was really aware of his surroundings as well. But because he came on as a substitute, people point the finger at the manager and say, oh, well, you brought him on. It's your fault. And I just don't think that's particularly fair on Solskjaer. Although... It has to be said, United's Champions League record at the moment is looking pretty shaky, to say the least. They did take the lead early on in the game. Cristiano Ronaldo, again, as you've already mentioned, Ian. We can talk about Ronaldo's goal, squeezing it under the goalkeeper, the movement, tapping it home from close range. Still some work to do to get it under the keeper, in all fairness. But it was all about the delivery from Bruno Fernandes. What a brilliant pass with the outside of his boot, finding Ronaldo. And people often say because of the way they've played together for Portugal, Bruno Fernandes sometimes shrinks in Cristiano Ronaldo's light. But if they can both play together at the peak of their powers at club level and they can produce quality like that, that is a positive sign going forward for Manchester United, isn't it? It's a positive sign for Manchester United and it's a positive sign for, for Portugal as well, I think. If uh, they have that duo uh, firing at club level and, and then they can translate that to, to the national team, that's surely got to be a, a bonus on that front as well. But yeah, they are playing really well. And, and you know, these are two of the, the top footballers in Europe, if not the world, playing together. And it, it's what you'd expect, you know, for that money that they've invested in in those players. And I know that Ronaldo's price tag um, off the shelf if you like was cheap but I'm sure his wages are not um, there's a lot of money being invested there and, and that's what you that's what you expect you know you, you've you got two of the best there playing together and, and producing um, on the biggest stage you know in Europe as well which is, is what you want and um, a great stat here it's a long time since I've done a stat but uh, 68 Champions <laughs> League appearances since turning 30 Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo scored 63 goals which is 35 more than any other player has scored aged 30 or older in Champions League history. So he is an absolute machine, particularly at Champions League level. We've seen what he can do in the Premier League already, uh, and he's performing on, on all fronts. And, um, yeah, it's what you expect. It's what you want. It's what you get him there for. It's it's a reason that uh, those players are are in that team, and uh, they're delivering. And, um, yeah, you know, brilliant to watch. And, yeah. It, just the, how clinical they are as well, I think. You know, there are plenty of players that would have received a pass from uh, Bruno uh, Fernandez and and probably um, not taken that opportunity so well. We've just seen, you know, it looks makes it look so easy these tappings, but how often do we see them go wide or go into the goalkeeper or, or hit the post? But whenever he gets that shot, Ronaldo, he doesn't miss. Oh, his eyes cold, in a yeah, eyes cold, dead eye, whatever you want to say. I think that was the thirty sixth different opponent he scored against in the Champions League throughout his career. And he also matched Ika Casillas' record of the most Champions League appearances, 177. He's already got the record for the most goals. Now he's tied for the most appearances. He doesn't look like he's going to be slowing down anytime soon. Just finally, Matt, we saw some photos and footage from the stands of Ronaldo and Fernandez up in the dugout and in the technical area with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the game was drawing to a close and United were trying to cling on to that 1-1 draw. In the end, obviously, they got beaten with the last kick of the game. That isn't a good look, is it? And I know Fernandez and Ronaldo are two winners, absolutely passionate about Manchester United being successful. But when they're all up there in the dugout with the manager or up on the technical area near the touchline, that's a bit of a bad look, don't you think? Well, yeah, because, you know, it's Solskjaer's job to manage the team, to coach the team. They're, they're players, that's that's what they do on the pitch. 
You know what I mean? Obviously, we've seen it with Ronaldo in the past. I don't know if you remember the um, is it Euro 2016 final when Portugal playing France. I remember him barking orders on the touchline because he went off with an injury. And he was sort of like took over like what the manager was saying at the time. And I remember like when he first when it first came through that he was signing him, I knew for a fact that he would have some sort of power in the dressing room. Like it was the it was the, the story of no one eating apple crumble at his initiation and stuff like that. Like he seems to be rubbing off on on the players already, and he is a big character, and he is one of these players that are gonna maybe have a little bit of um like um like a bit of power in the dressing room. And like you said, it doesn't look good on Solskjaer at all because. At the end of the day, Solskjaer's the manager. He should be the one making decisions. And Fernandez and Ronaldo, I mean, especially Fernandez. Fernandez hasn't really got a right to do that. Neither's Ronaldo. But the fact is that they're both sat there, both having their say on something that's nothing to do with them when they've just been out on the pitch and done their job anyway. Now, Solskjaer needs to um, to nip that in the bud. He can't like, allow that to happen again because they, they'll make him like a mug otherwise. Yeah, certainly it does raise a few questions. Manchester United, though, beaten last night in their Champions League group stage opener. What a famous win for David Wagner's young boys of Bern in Switzerland. They'll remember that victory for a long time long time is it david wagner i didn't realize that yeah I had no glasses oh. on i didn't realize it neither <laughs> yeah he, he's oh, the gaffer wow. yeah and uh masterminding another victory over united just like he did with huddersfield their first victory since say, the 50s as well when he was the manager they're, there they're the team that huddersfield could have been eh? <laughs> yeah. well done to young boys manchester united did lose their opener chelsea didn't though they won against zenit st petersburg we'll talk about that match next here on football social daily Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. Matt and Ian alongside me on today's Football Social Daily and the Champions League is back. Time to talk Chelsea now, who beat Zenit St. Petersburg in their group opener, begun their defence of the Champions League title, which they won last season, by winning at Stamford Bridge, Romelu Lukaku with the goal against the Russians. He scores again, Romelu Lukaku. That's going to be a familiar sight this season, Matt. He is just an absolute unit, a goal machine. And since he's arrived back at Stamford Bridge for the second time, he just looks like a man so determined to be successful. Now, your club, Manchester City, didn't get a striker in the summer. Chelsea have done. They've splashed out £97.5 million later. They've got who they wanted, and that's Romelu Lukaku. It's already beginning to look like a shrewd investment, even at that high price. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've we seen him at Inter Milan. He, he looks a completely different player to the one that left Man United. He's, um, he, he's trimmed down. He looks a lot leaner now. He looks a lot quicker. He's playing with a smile on his face, and he just seems now to be the player that, we all thought he was going to be when he, even when he was a young kid coming through at Chelsea and when he went to Everton, you know, he signed for Everton for thirty million, which obviously, even back then, you know, a, a lot of money, um, and we all knew he had potential. We all knew that he had this in him, but it was people questioning his first touch, his his um, his link up play. He seems to have just put all that behind him now, and he just seems to be sort of like the complete striker, everything you could want in a centre forward. I mean, fantastic cross by Aspilicueta, but his movement and to get to, to find the space in the box and to just plant the plant the uh, the header into the corner, you know, he's got everything. He he, he can do absolutely everything at the moment. And you like you said, ninety seven and a half million, a lot of money. But when I think about City not signing a striker in the summer, 
it's it's one of them things. Should we have uh, you know maybe thrown our um, our you know our hand in there? Maybe we could have you know tempted him over. He's got a great partnership with Kevin De Bruyne for Belgium. I would have loved to have seen that with Man City, you know. But obviously you know things have happened. City haven't spent the money Chelsea have, and Chelsea seems to be reaping the rewards of it at the moment. He's banging form, and there was no other player for me last night that was going to um, was going to break the deadlock against the. A frustrating Zenit side. We know what Zenit are like. Zenit, especially away from home, like to set up defensively and like to frustrate. But yeah, Chelsea just uh, even little one nil victory. But look, you know, one nil is one nil. It's three points on the board for them, and it's thoroughly deserved. Yeah, it's a good point. That to be fair, it wasn't easy for Chelsea. But then again, why would it be, Ian? We've just discussed on the podcast the young boys' performance and how they made it so difficult for Manchester United coming up against the European champions for a side like Zenit Saint Petersburg. These are big games. You can't just be blasé in the Champions League. The fans are back. It adds an extra dy- dynamic to these matches. And, you know, why wouldn't Zenit want to come to Stamford Bridge and knock the champions off their perch? These are the sorts of games which seem easy on paper, but actually the opposition always make it far harder than it than it should be. Yeah, you, you shouldn't underestimate what a big challenge this is going to be for, for the opposition because, um, you know, as we mentioned, like the Young Boys um, match, um, Zenit, you know, these are, these are the games that they want to be playing when they qualify for the Champions League. It's it's a big deal. You're playing the holders, Chelsea, um, who to to compared to to Zenit, they're a, a team full of of worldies. You know, and I think back to when um, in, in good old days, you know, when when Leeds that time they they qualified for the Champions League, and then they got in this group and they were drawn against um, Barcelona and um, AC Milan and Deportivo La Coruña and, and all these world-class names that, that came along. You know, it was a, it was a massive deal and it's, it still is a massive deal now. You know, I know that you know, Leeds obviously overperformed and, and, and got to the semi-final and all that kind of stuff, but it was a fantastic occasion to play against these sides that previously you'd never got anywhere near. And so it's the same for Zenit. It's the same for young boys. You know, having Man United come into your ground and or going on an away trip, the excitement of that, obviously it's different with travel and stuff at the minute, but going on an away trip to, to Chelsea for, for their uh, fans must be an amazing thing if, if any of them were able to make the trip. And so, yeah, of course they're going to be up for it. And you shouldn't be, if you're a Chelsea fan or a Man United fan, lose sight of what a big deal it is to play against these world-renowned names and world-class players. It's a, it's it's for some of these players they will never get this opportunity again to play against Lukaku or any of the other household names that they have in the Chelsea team. And same for the young boys. You know, the the young boys players, when are they apart from the return leg, when are they going to get to play against um Cristiano Ronaldo again? You know, it's it's yeah. that kind of thing that fires them up and and they will dine yeah, out be on this their for their lives. About that, Ian, exactly. You know, that you know, I the, there there are sportsmen who will talk about that for the rest of their life. And, and you know, the, the, the kid who scored the goal, the winning goal against Man United, doesn't matter what happens now in, in, in young boys' um, Champions League um, performance, the uh, campaign this year. It doesn't matter because he's, he's done that and he will live off that forever. If nothing ever happens in his <laughs> career again, that's him made. Yeah. Do you know? And it's, yeah, he it's won't that... need to buy a beer in Bern again anytime no. soon, will he? <laughs> no, exactly. And it's, it's one of those things that you should not underestimate. We, we, we obviously, I think we focus here and we're looking down the list of Liverpool versus AC Milan. That's a different kettle of fish. But when you're talking about these sort of smaller teams that have made it into the Champions League, don't underestimate what a big deal it is for them. 
And so, yeah, they're going to be fired up and you should never think that it's going to be a walk in the park because they see it as otherwise. They're, they're there just to get in your way. They're there to, to have that experience that they can dine out on for the rest of their lives. And, and a performance, of course, for some players, a great performance really gets them on the radar of other clubs as well. You know, it's, it's so much riding on it. You can't just say, well, it's not like playing FIFA where you go, there's a good team, there's a bad team. Who's going to win? It, football's m- more than that. And that's why it's unpredictable. That's why you should never bet on football, kids. Oh, no, I can't really <laughs> say that. Are we sponsored by them anymore? <laughs> Don't think so. <laughs> I think you're clear for the time being. <laughs> you're in a good little window there, I think. Okay, yeah, okay. Do it responsibly. Yes, absolutely. 18 plus begambleaware.org. <laughs> Don't forget as well, you mentioned earlier, Matt, about Lukaku. The ball for uh, Lukaku's header from Athletic was absolutely brilliant. It must give teams confidence, especially Chelsea fans' confidence, knowing that if the ball into the box is right, you have got someone with the quality to put the chances away. And even if the chances are few and far between, with someone like Lukaku, if you get it right, he will deliver the goods for you. That that must give fans supreme confidence. There are a few players like that knocking around, but certainly it was a great delivery into the box and well finished. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, it's all well and good having the striker in the box that can finish. You've got to also have the um, the, the service out wide that's going to, you know, that's going to provide that for the strikers. Aspilicueta's done that for years. You know, what I mean, he's he, he's just like he's 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 ageless. Aspilicueta. You know, I think they call him Dave over at Chelsea, um, <laughs> which which I which I find hilarious actually. Um, but yeah, he's he's done that for years, and you know, Lukaku. He'll know that he trains with him on a on a daily basis, and they'll they'll, they'll work on that. Tuchel have them working on that now because they've got a massive advantage now with Lukaku. You know, Tuchel's got a, a solid defensive setup. You know, we've seen how pragmatic they are, Chelsea, but now they've got this extra dimension, which which they didn't really have much last season. You know, they um they, re- they relied on the balls in behind last season really, and um build up play through the midfield. But now they've got this where they can just play it out wide and get um either Chilwell on the left or um, Aspilicueta on the right to swing it into the box and have Lukaku sat there waiting in the middle whether it's a header whether he's just poking it in with his studs or whatever you know it's it's a massive advantage and this is the only thing that I, I worry about this season I know I've, I've, I've been on the podcast before and said we'll be fine without a striker but I think back to the days when we had um, like an Edin Dzeko you know where we had that little bit of a plan B sort of thing where we could swing it into the box and he'd be on the end of a cross you know our, our play can sometimes you know I mean our football is absolutely fantastic, and you know it's the best I've ever seen from from what from my standpoint as a City fan. But sometimes it can maybe a little bit predictable, and teams can set up against you, and it's going to just give teams a little bit of a harder time against Chelsea because they won't know what's coming. They won't know if they're going to be playing it through the middle. They won't know if it's going out wide. They're just going to have to um, they're just going to have to be careful because now they've got an extra dimension at Chelsea. Yeah, definitely think that you know Chelsea have got that weapon now in Romelu Lukaku. They've also got Juventus in their group. Do you think Chelsea should be fearful, Ian? They've got their first three points under their belt in the group stage. They are the defending champions. Juventus haven't exactly started Serie A particularly well. Lost to Napoli at the weekend, languishing down in 16th in the Italian league after just three games. But they are obviously a club with huge European pedigree, so Chelsea can't take their eye off the ball. But do you think that they are the ones to beat now? If you're putting the two sides side by side, obviously Juventus have lost their Ace in the pack in Cristiano Ronaldo. Things aren't going to plan there. Chelsea can feel confident that they are the best team in the group, but you know, with a side like Juventus, is always going to be tough. So, do you think that Chelsea should still be slightly wary of them? Yeah, be wary of them, but um, the top two are going to go through from from the group, so you you can't really see that um, 
Chelsea and Juventus are not going to qualify from that group when Zenit and Malmo are the the other two teams. You know, it's not a group of death. I think there is a clear, you know, two clear winners that are going to progress. Um, and then, yeah, I just can't see how Chelsea are not going to qualify for the next round, which is what it's about at this stage anyway. And I know it's going to affect maybe who you're going to play in the next thing, but just getting through to the next round is, is what's important, isn't it? And um, I can't see Chelsea or Juventus not qualifying from that group. I think there's no real group of death this year, is there? Maybe Group A is probably the trickiest, which, uh, well, Group A or Group B, actually, with, with um, um, Bruges... Man City, PSG, and Leipzig is, you know, pretty tight. And we're going to come on to that in a moment. And maybe Group B with um, Atletico, AC Milan, and Liverpool and Porto. That's probably the, that's the trickiest one to work out. I would think actually looking at it. But, uh, but Group H with um, Juventus, Chelsea, Zenit, and Malmo. I think yeah, I'm, I don't fear for for anybody in that group <laughs> apart from Malmo. <laughs> I'm sure they'll give it their all, just like we were discussing about the likes of Zenit and Young Boys. Malmo, of course, won't be there to roll over incidentally a player who started his career at Malmö could be in action tonight at Anfield and that man is Zlatan Ibrahimovic he will visit Anfield with AC Milan to take on Jurgen Klopp's side in what is a classic European tie the 2005 Champions League final in which Liverpool came from behind they were 3-0 down against a star-studded Milan side they ended up winning the game on penalties thanks to the heroics of goalkeeper Jerzy Judek and during the full 90 minutes, Steven Gerrard, a game that defined him as a player and certainly his career, in my opinion. Two years later, they met again, 2007. This time, AC Milan came out on top. It certainly does have all the ingredients, Matt, to be a really exciting game tonight. But there's always the danger, isn't there, when you think back to those amazing games that you kind of overhype this one. It doesn't quite feel like this one is is really being hyped up hugely, but it's certainly an exciting one for the neutral nonetheless. Yeah, that um, 2007 final was the Inzaghi final. I loved Inzaghi as a centre-forward. He was brilliant. Um, but with the... <laughs> I didn't. He scored against Pompey in the 92nd. Oh, yeah, I remember. That, that, was that, was that when Ronaldinho <laughs> scored that free kick? Yeah, yeah I absolutely that. killed me that oh, did. But it did. Still, yeah, good, good memories still there. Yeah, still they still get, get to get Milan over to Fratton Park. That's got to be some good memories that anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, going on to the game now, It's with it being a group stage game, obviously that takes the shine off it. There's not much really riding on it. It's the first game in a group. You know, it's two really, you know, historical European great sides nonetheless. Um, Milan in decent form. They've won the first three games of the season. Um, like you said about Ibrahimovic. You know, he scored over the weekend. It was a it was a tapping, but you know, it was it was against Lazio, who were who were a decent side. He he seems to get better with age. He's like Benjamin Button, and he just he 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 doesn't get older. He just seems to get younger. Him. Um, he's 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 got this arrogant, cocky nature. He knows how good he is. You know, and that's worked for him his whole career. He's been he's been absolutely fantastic. But you know, Milan. You know, they've they've got they've got other decent players. They've got Rebic. They've got Theo Hernandez. You know, the left back who City have. Linked with at the moment, Pep Guardiola seems to be a big um, admirer of him. They've got Brahim Diaz, who, of course, was a Man City player at one point. He uh, he went to Real Madrid from us and then went to Milan from Real yeah. Madrid. They've got some decent players there in Liverpool, banging form. You know, obviously they lost Harvey Elliott over the weekend, which is a he's a young lad. He's just worked his way into the side. It's not a huge loss for him, I'd say. You know, there was worse players that could have been injured. No disrespect to Harvey Elliott, by the way. You know, obviously I wish him a speedy recovery, and he seems to be a good young talent. Liverpool at the moment, the the with their their first eleven, you know, if if they stay injury free this season, they're they're gonna be they're gonna be up there in the Premier League. They're also gonna be up there in the Champions League. 
Mo Salah, you know, um, they've got um, they've got the other player, they've got Mane up front, you know, world class players on their night that can destroy teams, not just hurt teams, absolutely destroy teams. And you've got yeah, Diego Jota as well, who's a world class player in my view. He, he he looks really at home in this Liverpool side. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good one for the neutral to watch. Obviously, I'll be having eyes elsewhere, and I'll I'll probably just watch the highlights afterwards. But I'm hoping for um, I'm hoping for a free scoring game. I can't see it being that way. I can see it being um, I can see I can see it being you know quite tight. You know, no no team's going to want to lose the first game. But with it being at Anfield, European nights back there. You know, the the crowd are back in there. The atmosphere is going to be brilliant for the first five minutes then it's going to turn into a library <laughs> <laughs> no I'm joking you know, no, uh, Liver- uh, European nights at Anfield are, are different to league games I'll give them that um, so yeah it's going to be a d- difficult game for both sides but um, I can see Liverpool just edging it just edging it what do you think Liverpool's focus will be this season in because I think they've actually gone under the radar a little bit when it comes to the Premier League in terms of the title race a lot of t- times we've spoken about Chelsea on the show they've added Lukaku Thomas Tuchel has come in and done an, an amazing job won them the Champions League got them into the top four Manchester City obviously defending champions are always going to be in and amongst it United have now got Ronaldo and have had a really good summer window Liverpool haven't added any players over the summer but they're still 1-11 to a really good football side and will probably be up there and possibly challenging for the title if not winning it I wouldn't be surprised if they went on and won it let's just say that but they do have this love affair with the Champions League six-time winners they know how to get the job done a couple of finals in recent years under Klopp as well what do you think their priority their focus will be this season why not go for both it's tough but I mean they've got the quality to do it yeah, they've absolutely got the quality to do it. I think Liverpool always compete on on all levels, don't they? They're not really a a side who are renowned for you know um, saying they're not going to compete on in in certain cups or, or or much like that. They they usually do throw everything at it. Certainly at this stage of the season, and then as things progress, sometimes you know you can see they've got a better chance of of doing well in in the Champions League or the league, and you can see where they might prioritise a little bit. Um, but I think for, for Liverpool, surely the Premier League and the Champions League are on a fairly even footing. Um, the Champions League, obviously, a very different competition in terms of how intense the games are. But um, I, I, I think back to my, my illustrious days working with, uh, with the great Emlyn Hughes, and uh, which uh, there are many tales, but he, he, always, he always, and he was a, a European Cup winning captain. Um, for for Liverpool and he always had a bit of a preference for Europe um, you know the European nights and, and the European competition because as I remember he always used to say that you know there you're playing against the best you know you're playing uh, certainly when it was the European Cup in his in his day if you want to go back to that uh, you know, it was the champions, wasn't it? it was the, you had to be like the very best from each from each nation. The actual um, Champions League, and, weren't it? Uh. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. Ironically, when it wasn't called the Champions League, it had more champions in it. Um, but uh, you, you know, it, it was it, you're pitting yourself against the 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 Real Madrid or AC Milan. Obviously, that's a match tonight. We know that, but and and it was a knockout thing as well. There was more on it. And and he always used to say that, you know, if you've won that competition, if you're a European Cup winner, you've proved yourself against the best. Whereas if you're a Premier League winner, yeah, it's it's all about stamina. It's more of a marathon. But you've gone through that competition where you can afford to lose. You know, you can afford to, to get beat by, by Watford or whatever. And it doesn't really matter. Whereas, you know, you lose against young boys, for example, in Man United's case, and that could actually be a, have, have more on it. 
in a few weeks time from now we don't know yet and and yeah i think there is probably a preference of that european champion thing being um a bigger thing now that liverpool have won the premier league recently and they've done it and they've they've ticked that box i think yeah maybe the focus would be on europe now because that was the thing that was hanging over them, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, they want their title back, though, don't they? They want that Premier League title back after Yeah, but the thing with Liverpool has always been they've never won it. It's always been that you can't win it, you never won it, you're not good enough to win it, and all this kind of stuff. They've done it recently. Um, and, and, and Never got a parade, though, did they? Exactly. Well, yeah, well, they, yeah, not, offici- not nope. officially. They need to win it again just <laughs> yeah, to get that parade. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe they, yeah, there would be that. I think it's too early in the season. I think they're going to, of course, they want to win both. Of course, they want to win both. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see how things pan out. Um, in the respective competitions, and and if and if they can compete on both fronts, we know that Liverpool like a treble, you know, quadruple, whatever. They they would be well up for that, I'm sure. So uh, <laughs> I don't think it's it's a, a thing that they're going to um, prefer over each other. But I think obviously it might be out of their hands in, in which they which they end up competing in. But at this stage of the season, they they want to win as much as possible. Surely that's what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, seeing as we're a Premier League podcast here on Football Social Daily. But there is something magical about the Champions League. There's something a little bit extra special about the fact that there is teams coming over from Europe to play at, you know, the Etihad or Anfield, for example, or Old Trafford or Stamford Bridge or wherever it may be. And just that Champions League final occasion where the fans all converge on one city. I know times have been different in recent years due to the pandemic, but, you know, people always talk about that night in Istanbul if you're a Liverpool fan or, you know, United fans talk about Moscow and Chelsea fans will talk about Munich. And, and you know, that those are always kind of occasions which get the cheeks rosy and you're kind of really looking forward to the action and just I think there's something special there's a bit of magic about the Champions League even down to as far as the music that gets played before the teams walk yeah. out you know that's like spine tingling that piece of music yeah it gets the hairs on your next standing up doesn't it absolutely yeah Zadok the priest um is the is the the anthem that it is which a lot of people don't know by <laughs> the way right? yeah a lot <laughs> that's of, a great pub quiz a lot uh, of people don't of know that that is the coronation anthem so when the queen hands over the crown to prince charles the Champions League music will be playing when Prince Charles has the crown put on his head because that is the coronation music for the British monarchy. So a lot of people will be finding that amusing, I'm sure, when that day eventually comes. But um, but yeah, uh, something special about the Champions League for me, for Prince sure. Prince Charles wink, yeah. winking into the camera as it goes past him. <laughs> yeah, with his hand stood behind his back looking away. At yeah, the... that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Mascot beneath him as well. <laughs> anyway, uh, enough joking around. Liverpool against AC Milan tonight. Looking forward to that one. Also, Manchester City in action this evening at the Etihad. They welcome German opponents and we'll talk about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Niall McCorn here alongside Ian Brannan and Matt Pidd. And time to talk about Manchester City, a club Matt loves and adores. Is this the year City finally win the Champions League? Because... After last season where you got to the final and you were beaten by Chelsea and maybe it was one of those classic Pep overthinking moments, you've also been knocked out in heartbreaking circumstances against Tottenham in recent seasons. Can you finally do it this season or are you again going into this campaign with a slightly bated breath, mate? 
it's deja vu every September. Every September we talk about it, don't we? Um, closest we've ever been last season. Obviously, it was our first ever European final, and you know we sort of went out with a whimper rather than a bang. You know, it was, it's not a final that many people are going to remember, other than maybe obviously Chelsea fans. Um, yeah, it was, it's just it's one of these things. The, the fans, obviously, we've been in it for like over ten years now, and there's still there's still this sort of disdain. That the, the our our fan base has with the Champions League, you 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 speak to any of our our fans really that have been supporting the club for a number of years, and they always put the Premier League above the Champions League. Now I think, I mean I love the Premier League. Don't get me wrong, but I think for us to be called so called to say this with inverted commas elite, we need to win this competition. The owners want this competition. Pep will probably feel that. To be vindicated as one of the all-time great managers, he needs to win it again with another club without Leo Messi, which people still keep going on about to this day, even though he's already came over to England, dominated domestically and changed the way the football's played over here probably forever. You know, he's he's still got this thing where he needs to win the Champions League with an English side, Man City, and to get this to get this monkey off his back and we're going to be going into it obviously still wanting to win it this is why we build the squad we do we want to win every single competition we play in Pep is a serial winner he wants to win every single competition he plays in we talked about the Carabao Cup um, a few weeks ago on the podcast he loves to win that he wants to win the FA Cup he wants to win the Premier League he wants to win the Champions League and you know these these games against um, teams like Leipzig first game in a group we need to get them out of the way Leipzig you know they're not the team that they once were. You know they've they've had three of the like, probably best assets taken off them by Bayern. You know cherry picking again. They've had Nagelsmann, they've had Umpakanu, and they've had Sabitzer taken from them. But they've still got decent players. You know they've got Kevin Campbell and Andre Silva that can still hurt you on the night if you allow them to. So we've just got to be very very cautious tonight. We've got no no stones, no Laporte. So Ake's going to come in. He took a lot of criticism after the um, the charity shield against Leicester. He needs to come in tonight and put in a decent performance. He's a decent player. Okay, we we signed him for forty million. You know, I don't spend forty million on a player if he's no good. He's just been. He's he's had injuries. He's been in and out the side. You know, with City, this rotation, and he's he's got to, um, he's got to expect that. City, I have I have no issues with uh, other than the, the slip up against Tottenham on the first game of the season. We've you know we've scored eleven and conceded one, so we can't really complain there. Bernardo Silva, we've kept hold of him. He looks like a player rejuvenated. He looks like the 2018-19 Bernardo Silva where he was our player of the season for me. Um, Jack Grealish making his Champions League debut is going to want to make an impression on his first night. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that's why he moved to City, isn't it, Matt? That was it. He yeah, said well, he wanted to be part of Champions League night. Absolutely. And, you know, who can blame him? You know, he's he's got the world at his feet. He's, he's I'm, I'm not saying he's better than Villa or anything like that. Maybe he's just got... He's just got ambitions that are bigger than what Villa can offer him at the moment. This was it. This was the reason why he left. This was the reason why they put 100 million, you know, release clause on him because they didn't think that anyone would come in. But obviously, City have, have seen potential with him. And what I've seen with Jack Grealish so far, what Pep's got him doing, he's 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 working on and off the ball. He's got him tracking back and making tackles. And this is what Pep wants in a player. He's got the quality on the ball, but he's also got the work ethic off the ball he made a great tackle against Jamie Vardy over weekend which stopped a counter attack which I thought was absolutely fantastic and he, did, he didn't get enough credit for that for me but yeah Leipzig no mugs we spoke about young boys we spoke about Zenit they're not here just to make up the numbers Leipzig have been fantastic in the Bundesliga since they came into it you know they've, they've had like top two finishes and they're up there with um some of the most dangerous teams in Europe. Obviously, they've lost th- three big assets, like I mentioned, but I don't think we should take them lightly tonight. We've got a couple of um, 
injury problems there. But we've got Foden and De Bruyne that have returned to the side. You know, they're not in the first eleven. They'll probably start on the bench. But you know, having them back in the side is a massive plus. I think we just need to get off to a good start tonight. Get the crowd going. Get a, few, um, a couple of goals nice and early, if possible. If if Leipzig allow us to. Um, and just get a good feeling back again because it's coming back off as losing a Champions League final. There's still that bitter taste in the mouth, you know, when the the Champions League um, bit came on at the, the beginning of the um, broadcast last night, and you see Chelsea lifting it at the end. You know, it's still like it still hurts because sickener. Yeah, it's a sickener, absolutely. But we need to we need to use that now. We need to use that feeling that 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 sick that sickness feeling. We need to use that as motivation. We don't want to feel that again. We want to go one better this season, and we want to go and win it. And we we want to do it in style as well. We want to do it, and we want to do it in the, in the way that Pep Guardiola has got us playing. Yeah, Manchester City kick off their Champions League campaign tonight at the Etihad against Leipzig, a team who did beat United in the Champions League last season, and they are quite a tactical side. I'll be interested to see how that one unfolds. Before we finish today's football social daily, I wanted to talk about refereeing because it's just been revealed this morning whilst we're recording the show that Pascal Stroik. His red card for Leeds United has been upheld after his challenge on Liverpool's Harvey Elliott, which resulted in Elliott fracturing his uh, his lower leg and his ankle, wishing him a speedy recovery, as we've already touched upon on today's show. And it's just one of a number of refereeing incidents which have popped up this season. And I don't think they ever will go away. I think they're always going to have questions of referees because that's just the nature of the game that we all love and enjoy. We've had a question here from a listener to uh, Football Social Daily called Sanj. And he says, should Premier League referees be hired from other leagues to improve the collective quality of the officiating? He then goes on to say Stuart Atwell's performance against Aston Villa was an inconsistent disgrace and he's just one of many. The top league deserves better. I love how he said Stuart Atwell's performance against Villa, as if he was like completely <laughs> on the other Villa. side rather than a neutral <laughs> referee. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's an interesting point, though, because we saw last night in the Champions League English referee Anthony Taylor, Ian, send a player off for a second yellow when he hadn't even booked him with a first yellow. So it's not the first time we've seen English referees making errors. He also says, Sanj, and I think just to kind of reinforce his point, that foreign managers and players have come over to these shores and transformed the Premier League and made it this global entity. Why are we so reluctant to have referees from other nations coming over and trying their hand? If they're the best at what they do, surely they should be over there, over here refereeing our league, shouldn't they? It's not a bad point. Um, I don't know. It, it does seem like, you know, that football has progressed and i think this can be said for many sports actually and whatever they are whether it's tennis or cricket or formula one or speedway or whatever it is that whilst um to to fans to to those actually playing it week in week out the sport can do what it wants you know in terms of developing and being more progressive and whatever sometimes the you know that the people at the very top of of the sport um who are you know looking after the rules and implementing the rules can be a little bit you know maybe detached from the passion of the moment from from and and even the reality of 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 playing the game some of which i imagine there'll be people who are at the football association right at the very top who've never played professional football maybe you never even played football full stop that's crazy that's crazy these are these, these people in charge of our game as well that's crazy exactly and 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 so they they there are things that happen in in a game, you know, accidents happen, and certainly in the case of the the the, the Strauch, um thing with Leeds, you know, um, n- nobody has has ever said 
that this was a a a challenge that was designed or went in was reckless. You know, he got the ball. He actually got the ball cleanly. What happened was it was the trailing leg that tripped up over each other, and and that's what caused the injury. Now um, he got sent off for um, causing harm to to the player, and but it wasn't it was it's one of these things where you know since when did he get sent off it's a very recent thing that getting sent off for a you know accidents have always happened in football unfortunate but they do you know there's all sorts of things that can happen it just seems that why does somebody have to pay a price for 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 these things if he'd gone in with with studs up and went to clean him out then absolutely throw the book at him but even um you know, even the Liverpool player concerned has is, is put on Instagram that look, absolutely, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the challenge. The challenge was fine. It was an accident. It was one of those things, and you know, everybody's wishing each other well. He's even got know, a, Harvey Elliott's so, even apologised on on Stroop's yeah. behalf. He's even apologised, and that should say it all. Really, look, he's been sent off for the result of the challenge and not the challenge itself. So, where, what, how is that right? Because, like you said, accidents happen. It's a contact sport. It's just one of them things that's unfortunate. It's a freak incident. He's not gone in, like you said, reckless. He's not gone in with any intent. He's gone in to win the ball, and it's just the result of, you know, a trailing leg afterwards. That's it. And you know, players are getting punished for for accidents that's that's not their fault. I don't think that's right. Yeah, and I can understand at the t- at the time in the heat of the moment, right? I can understand the referee on the pitch giving the red card because you know they, they haven't got time to sort of go into it all and 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 all this kind of stuff. He's got to deal with what he can see. And what you can see is a player with a broken leg. And, uh, you know, fair enough. All right. I think we can get over that. But a few days later, having investigated it, having seen the evidence on the screen, having seen the um, evidence from the players concerned about how it was an accident and one of these things, to then punish a player for a reckless incident when everybody involved in the, even the kid with a broken leg is saying it wasn't a reckless incident, what's the point? You know, what's the point having an appeal when clearly they haven't listened to anything that's been said by anybody? It's just, what is the, what is the point? And for Leeds fans, it comes down to, well, you know, no surprise. You know, when has the FA ever stood up for Leeds? Well to, well, to play devil's advocate here, it doesn't really matter what Harvey Elliott says, whether he's broken his leg or not, because he's not the referee. And I know that's a very, you know, plain way of putting it and quite blunt, but... At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because the referee, it's his call and it's an objective game. And that's the problem I think we've got with trying to introduce things like technology into football is that it all comes down to, in the referee's opinion, is it a red card? And that referee on the day seemed to think that it was. And VAR, he went and had a look and decided that it was a red card. And whoever the assessor is has also decided that it's a red card. Now, it doesn't matter if 100 people look at it and 97 of them say it's not a red, if the three people that are important say that it is, then they're the ones that make the decision. So fundamentally, I mean, it's it's frustrating, but it's just something that I can't but see in, changing, in, in, to be honest. By that token then, I mean, this is obviously a, a physical injury, a broken leg, or, or certainly a dislocated ankle. Um, but, he's, you know, the ligaments are, are affected and all this kind of thing. So it's going to be quite a long recovery for him. Fair enough, right? So it is It is a big... He's got age for... on his side, luckily enough. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, he has. But so, but if he hadn't have broken his leg and, and it was a ligament injury, would that still be a sending off? You know, where, where's the... Where, we're punishing somebody here for, for, for causing, accidentally causing an injury. 
And and yes, it's dramatic because there is a a, a a bone break. But where do you draw the line for being sent off? What if he What if he'd done something and and he twisted and snapped his ligaments in his knee? You know, is that the Leeds player's fault? It's the same thing. It just happens to be a break. And I think because it's a dramatic thing that happened in terms that it is a break, but medically speaking, where is the line between, you know, somebody being uh, causing an injury that, that gets you sent I'll off? Use, I'll use an example here. I'll use an example here. Pickford on Van Dyke last season. Did Pickford yeah. get sent off? Exactly. He put Van Dyke out for the season, did his yeah. ACL, but he didn't get sent off because it wasn't a break. Yeah, that's so, what I mean. Like, like you said, wet, 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 what's the difference then? It's a, but it's an mean? injury. Yeah, it's an injury. It's a, it is a severe injury. Probably that that you know an, an ACL is worse than than breaking your ankle. I would I, I think, uh, but because it's dramatic, because you know that's the thing, and I think the referees made a situation here and gone oh man and panicked like everybody else did when they saw it on the TV. Um, it, you know, it, yeah, it, it, but because you can't see an injury, I, players are not going to get sent off, and it just seems to be like well. It wasn't purposeful. It wasn't a studs-up challenge. He didn't go in to snap his leg. He just They just tripped up over each other. And this is going to happen through the course of the season. There will be another player, maybe this week, maybe next week, maybe next month, who'll, who'll catch a, a player or catch their studs in the ground and and have a an injury that'll see them out for six months or more. You know, and could have happened with Wan Bissaka easily last night. It that could happen could have been in any game. Breaker last night, and and I think here you just in, but the in, margins are so fine, aren't they? This is elite sport. It's yeah. like a millisecond can what result saying, in you winning the ball or hurting someone. What it's what it's saying is that you can it, 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 They're making it a no contact sport, effectively, because even if you um, get the ball, which is what it's all about. You know, it was always with free kicks and with, with uh, you know, tackles and so on. It was always, well, you know, if you get the ball, that was always the thing, wasn't it? And now he's got... Hard, the, hard he's, but fair. And yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but now he's he, the player got the ball cleanly and what caused the injury was the, you know, the aftermath, if you like, of legs being everywhere and getting tangled. Where, where, I don't know. It just sets a precedent that is going to be inconsistently applied elsewhere in the season. That's what it's about. And I think, and and and, and what it, what it, what it, we want in football, whoever you support, whoever your team is, all we want is the rules to be applied consistently, week in week out. And this is going to come back through the course of the season now because the, this this sort of incident will happen again, where a player gets injured. Um, through no fault of anybody, look, stuff's going to happen, right? It is a it is a sport. People will get injured, unfortunately, through no fault of their own. And will this same punishment be dished out equally to other players from other clubs? Um, probably not through the course of the season. And, you know, we've, I don't know, it just, we've got all this technology now. We've got all these cameras everywhere and, and all this kind of stuff. And yet, still stupid mistakes are being made you know basic mistakes and 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 yet we're very very good at analyzing whether somebody is offside by a millimeter we can do that but we can't spot that the referee hasn't actually given somebody a yellow card yet you know it's it's just it's like we're focusing on the on the minutiae and getting really hot up hot up on that but then there's so much other stuff that we're just uh, haven't got a grip of I don't know. It's just inconsistent, isn't it? That's where it is. Uh, it's a great question raised by Sanji as well, and certainly one that we will debate, I'm sure, throughout the rest of the season at some point here on Football Social Daily. Good debate, good chat. Great to have you on. Thanks very much, Matt. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate your company as ever. Don't forget, tomorrow you'll be able to listen to a full rundown as well of all of the results from the Champions League and exactly how Liverpool and Manchester City got on kicking off their Champions League 
campaigns. Also, the Europa League returns tomorrow, so we'll have discussion on that too. But that's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily, and we'll catch you again next time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.